Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Disco Fever, Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 12, There is a Tide. And once again, the two marks are delivering a reverent review, providing you lively debate, conversation, and social commentary. Will the steroid-infused Asira have roid rage on the Discovery crew? Will Bruce Willis, I mean Burnham, find her way through the Jeffries tubes? Will Booker's transformer ship make it back to Discovery Shuttle Bay? Should you always secure your pussy when smashing through an open hole? <laughs> All this and much more. and much more will be unpacked in this week's episode. Let me introduce my friend and co-host, Mr. B- Mr. Mick, Mickey Maloo, <laughs> Mr. Mark Pollard. Oh, I'll do again. Oh. Let me introduce my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Pollard. Hello. I, oh my God, that killed me, did that? I did actually think exactly the same thing about Bruce Willis when I saw, when I saw her shoes pop off. I thought, yeah. how fitting that they've done it at Christmas as well. Indeed, yeah, yippee ki and all that. <laughs> Although she didn't write the names of all the aliens on her arm. <laughs> no, that's true. And she wasn't wearing a watch. <laughs> well, oh, but she was wearing something on, on, on her arm to, to hide oh, her, right. her life, but so I suppose technically she was. How are you anyway? I'm not too bad, actually. I, my wife suggested that we play doctors and nurses, but I didn't re- realise I was going to be left in a corridor for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Is that satire? It is. <laughs> I satire. You sat there. <laughs> oh dear. Oh. Oh. So when is this? Is this New Year now? Then Are we, this is New Year, isn't it? Yeah, it is. This, this episode came out on New Year's Day, so we are officially in 2021. People, I'm sure you're all absolutely delighted to see the back of 2020. For those who don't realise, the first of January 2021 is just the next day on the calendar from the 31st of December 2020, and therefore the shit situation we find ourselves in is still shit and will remain so unfortunate. For probably another three to six months, anyway. Hopefully, there is a light at the end of some tunnel somewhere. Tier 12, we're in. Well, it depends what day you talk. I mean, if you're listening to this in a couple of weeks' time, it might now be tier 4,427. I like tier 12. It means that you don't see anybody. <laughs> you just throw stuff through letterboxes. <laughs> <laughs> There's no lamppost looking yet, people. So, did we enjoy this? Because we're here to talk about the penultimate episode of season three. We've absolutely loved season three up to this point. It's inevitable that this is going to be an absolute love fest of an episode as we bring to a climax the fabulous story arcs that we have been working so hard to develop throughout the course of season three. Or are we? It was a much improved upon last week's episode let's unpack it and find out let's keep the listeners anticipation and excitement Ooh. well let's do a synopsis then so give us a, a bit of a an overview after capturing the uss discovery osiris seeks a meeting with admiral vance while burnham and the crew must overcome unimaginable odds as they attempt to regain command of their ship discuss well for a start i would like to apologize on behalf of myself for the entire of the last episode firstly for the amount of mourning but anyone who knows me knows that's just generally my life and my way of approaching everything but secondly i turned syra into an irish woman by calling her oh syra which is largely because of the way i wrote her name down to be sure to be sure to be sure um <laughs> yes the gaelic in syra seems to have left in this episode largely because I didn't put O before her name in my notes. She is now just normal, Sarah, as opposed to the Irish descendant. 
So she is. I've just got all pirates. Sorry, Irish people for doing a really bad impression of your accent. Who are? Where's that treasure? Captain Birdseye. Any Irish sponsors we've lost as well as everyone else we've lost over the season? Yeah, anyone who's looking for an Irish playing actor, A, I don't act, and B, you've clearly heard why I should never be hired for such a role. We've just got over the troubles. Let's not kick that all off again. (laughs) So, yeah, um, apologies for that. But... I didn't mind it. I, do you know what? It was an epiphany was this episode for me. I mean, firstly, unlike the last episode, I didn't have copious amounts of chocolate warping my ability to distinguish between reality and fantasy. But actually, I had an epiphany insofar as I realised that there is absolutely nothing that can be done to salvage the writing of the storylines of this show up to this point. So I watched this episode in the cold light of day, accepting that there is nothing they can do to repair the shitstorm that they created and I actually really enjoyed this episode I thought it was quite a good fun action episode doing lots of cool stuff we got some lovely character interactions I particularly like Syrah and the Admiral I thought that was a great one Buck and Burnham were great again particularly Burnham so I enjoyed all of that I thought that was brilliant and I just completely ignored all the shit storyline that's led us to this situation in the first place it couldn't have got any worse and I think it this point with one episode to go after this who fucking cares um, <laughs> there was the action thing which i think as why i felt it was much improved than last week's episode i liked the politics with admiral vance and asira i liked the intriguing mix of her character development you know it lent a bit more into what you were talking last week about her as a, a villain she's much more than the sum of her parts we haven't had the luxury of seeing her properly over the course of these episodes thus far and as a result of that i think has somewhat harmed the way her character could have been perceived but the reality is she's a bit hardcore and she's not soft she knows her stuff great she's a savvy politician isn't she that's what she is I mean there's no we still haven't seen any nuances to suggest that there's an element of goodness in her or that she's doing things for the well-being of other people what she's doing here is just fundamentally trying to protect her ass and save her empire which is just about to collapse because they've got no dilithium to drive around and do anything so she's doing the next best thing which is coming up with a treaty basically a peace agreement with the federation which keeps everything that they've got repairs the weaknesses that they have whilst also and obviously this was the the sticking point in the negotiations absolves her from all war crimes and evil doings that she's done in the past but that's her just covering her ass and the irony is how many times have we see governments do similar agreements with with warlords and dictators of countries in the same way this is what we were banging on about in the last episode this was something that felt real the federation are desperate to get these guys off their back because they are a legitimate risk they're a legitimate power in the region and they are a very real danger to what they're trying to achieve flip side the Syrah and her gang need to protect their empire and so they're prepared to make concessions in order to do it but not to the extent where they land themselves in prison that feels really real and that's kind of what we've been lacking in a lot of these story arcs and it was done well I felt I like the Admiral and I like Syrah in this I thought it was really good I did particularly like the absolute shock and disdain on her face when he was like yeah you'll have to be you know we'll we'll justly try you for your war crimes and she's sitting there thinking yeah but there's no way I'm not being found (laughs) not guilty because I absolutely am so I'm going to prison whether you like it or not but what you had here which is a nice way of separating the episode you had the brexit negotiation going on and you had essentially a rescue mission that was what this episode was it was a brexit negotiation from the eu which is quite timely seeing as we've left officially and then there's a rescue mission which turned into a little bit of mission impossible a little bit of die hard so that was why this episode for me was a bit better than last time well it, it was, it was a, sorry to cut across you there but it was a mandalorian simple plot a and a simple plot b wasn't it you love the mandalorian now i do but you see i kind of want the feelings i got from watching the mandalorian and I, I mean i love star wars but nowhere near in the same way as i love star trek and I, what i want is all the feelings i got from that series i, 
want to feel in this and I kind of got that from this episode as you say there's a very simple there's some really intriguing political dueling between two people in a room and there's nothing more interesting than that really there's just the spark of their characters and the intellect of their characters doing it in a single room but it's interesting and then that's balanced by this exciting action escape plan that was what I was banging on about earlier in the season with these episodes talking about the Mandalorian that's exactly what I was wanting from this in this episode there's a kind of a, a Jed Mercurio line of duty style thing where they're just in a room and you think to yourself well, how can you create an episode just in a room and there's a lot of shows that do that Netflix have got um, season 2 of Criminal which is taking essentially what Jed Mercurio who's just been knighted or been given a, uh, an honours by the Queen did in line of duty and everyone loved the interview section of that series and all they've done with criminals taking that room but it's no different than any other police procedural what you've got there is two hardcore politicians the Admiral that to be fair has grown on me and Asira who is a villain but actually is quite savvy because what she's done I mentioned a few episodes ago the, the theatre play Wicked so when you watch The Wizard of Oz you think oh bloody hell they you know it's a Wicked Witch of the East actually what you've got is someone who's dropped a house on your sister and is now wearing their clothes it's about perception so when she's saying well actually Starbase 4524A Oblique 2 is dealing with us and they're part of Starfleet it shifts the dynamic and he's like well actually we could be doing that and we can all work harmoniously together for the benefits of everybody and again as I mentioned last episode equal opportunities equal rights for people let's all be at the same level as everybody else technological political environmental whatever let's work together as a consortium she's already gathered those people that's an amazing story to delve into further which which captures your attention and keeps you focused on how is this going to turn out and then separate to that when you go back to the rescue section you've now got the likes of Buck and Burnham their dynamic they're also dealing with the repercussions of the decisions they make because obviously the ship they're trying to recover will they need to self-destruct it will they lose crew members in the process because they're up against the overwhelming force they've got all of these questions going on in their mind flipping from one to the other and it works I mean let's stick with the Cyrus storyline for the time being with this up to this point because of the atrocious writing the Emerald Chain has been depicted much the same as the Terrans in the Mirror Universe where there is this Empress Syrah is depicted much the same as the Emperor in the Mirror Universe drives around in this enormous ship being brutal and overruling the whole of this area of space and that's what the writers have almost led us to believe throughout this episode which has left that Emerald Chain feeling very paper thin in terms of strength of character it's made them seem very pantomime baddie like and it seemed very copycat of as I say the Mirror Universe setup actually in this episode in this one episode in this tiny room we find out a lot more about the Emerald Chain because Syrah isn't able to make the decisions it would appear because it seems like there's some sort of government structure there are people with whom and they're probably warlords over certain areas but there are other people she has to answer to in order to come to agreements on certain things now why could we have not come across that information at the beginning of this season why could we have not been exposed more to Cyrus' difficulties in being the ruler of the Emerald Chain when you've got all these warlords that you've got to work with that you've got to come to agreement with you've got that fine balance between keeping everyone happy and having to make decisions that are going to leave some people unhappy is the threats to her power because you've always got the next warlord who wants to come along and nick your seat there's so much that she as a character probably has to cope with why couldn't we have had this throughout season three whereas actually what we've done here is we've opened the door to all of these questions and maybe in season four we'll get to enjoy them but i would have liked to have enjoyed them in season three as opposed to the shit sandwich we've had so far i've got nothing to add to that because i think you've just hit the nail on the head that's exactly what i would have wanted she in this one single episode has taught us more about her position how she sees her role and how her consortium of partners or whatever it is the emerald chain where actually it doesn't sound like a bad deal they mentioned about the fact that the best funded science group i mean what's that all about what are they investigating they're trying to find other fuel systems what is that science team trying to achieve are they is it for good is it bad is it a bit of both who's in charge of that who funds that how do they fund that you know there's all those questions that stem from that we've obviously got the dumbest scientist genius in the whole world who will come to i'm sure at some point in a moment who tells us a story of how she saved him from dying and it's like okay well why did she do that again is there a bit like 
Thanos where she thinks she was doing a good thing but actually in the cold light of day she was only saving him because she saw potential to benefit from him I don't know his intelligence or there was something in his genetics that solved the problem for her and it was worth keeping around or did she mm. legitimately feel sorry for the guy is it because she had a sibling who had a similar problem and so it was like trying to make amends there's a whole host of nuances that we could have had at the beginning of this season that would have made her a much richer character come the crunch at the end of this season seems a bit of a prejudice against her because she's of a species that has historically been against the federation so the federation's position now is that categorically we won't have any dealings with them and if you look at what they're offering in terms of trade agreements there's no difference in the way she operates to anybody who buys an iphone or buys um, some clothing that's been created in a sweatshop somewhere down that chain of production somebody suffers i'm not suggesting they're being shot with lasers to their face just for legal purposes apple we're not suggesting that during the course of your manufacturing process there are any human rights abuses we were just mainly using it as a rough analogy <laughs> You see me covering the legal asses there, mate, because we can't afford a legal battle with Apple. <laughs> I can't, yeah. I can hear the Philadelphia lawyers fueling up on the tarmac. I think what you're trying to say is there's quite a lot of products in everyday shops and availability, which sometimes parts of it originate from a less than whiter than white circumstance. To achieve our ability to get through our day with all of our technology and our equipment and things like that, we're not really bothered where the provenance of it comes. With regards to this, she has people working in mines and working in scrap heaps to get all of the expensive elements out of those bits of technology. She's communicating with places they've not spoken to for nearly 100 years. Yeah. Is telling the Admiral, in my mind, the power she wields right now. Yeah, very true. We could probably put this as a clip and just have it as a drop. It was an opportunity missed. This season has been very blotchy and poorly written, and this was a perfect opportunity to create a circumstance. And actually, you could have ended this season with the deal that's been proposed in this episode falling through and obviously her finding out about the dilithium and therefore season 4 being a war at getting that dilithium or if she gets hold of it the problems that that creates for the Federation who don't then have it it's not like if they'd have done it the way that we're suggesting that you'd have used up all the story arcs in season 3 and wouldn't have had anywhere to go in season 4 actually there's still loads to explore in season 4 just within the Emerald Chain and that butting of heads that they're having with the Federation. I agree. It was a massively missed opportunity. They've created the character, which is more than just two-dimensional, a depth of character with someone who's clearly trying to create some sort of alliance with the Federation. And if they'd done this a few episodes earlier, there would have been opportunity to take the story off much further. I mean, it's quite interesting. It happens to be about what appears on the face of it to be a Brexit type thing. It does feel very real-time, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, and if it is the case that they've done this before, all these things happened fair play to them and they've been on the nose if it's been about brexit and it's been about political things with donald trump or it's been about the pandemic during lockdown i think they've brought out a sense of understanding within the narrative sticking with the negotiations for a second not only do we get a lot of interesting information that has opened up a whole world of storylines that they can now utilize probably badly if we're going by the track record this season but there was tension there as well wasn't there because you didn't trust her throughout your like is this a trick and then you had this lie detector guy now i've been i mean i laughed all the way through this because i've been in plenty of business meetings and as a lawyer i've been in many negotiation meetings where it's felt very much the same as what we saw in this episode where everybody turns up with the equal number of lawyers in <laughs> <laughs> in their pockets so there's like five lawyers on each side and they both line up next to each other you know it's like mirror you pick out which one you're going to eyeball and then you go into this meeting room I mean I've been in many meeting rooms where there's just this uh, blank brainless statue of a person who serves very little purpose sitting at the end of the table who you wonder why they're really there but in this case it was the lie detector person which was a really interesting story tool because we're sitting here thinking ah she's just lagging in she while she gets everything in place and then this lie detector's going no no she's telling the truth and you're going she's telling the truth and then Moore's coming out and he's going no she's still telling the truth and you're thinking what's going on here and then slowly as it unravels you suddenly realise that all these great things this peaceful approach that she's professing and proposing which seems too good to be true is true but then you, it starts to dawn on you the slightly less <laughs> altruistic reasons why she's doing it and then you go ah 
Ah, all right. That's pretty smart. Is that so? There was like a tension as well as sort of this intellectual dueling between the two. I think that goes back to what I was saying about this prejudice that the Federation has. And in fairness, she has done some despicable deeds. To the it wasn't done a bit of slavery in their time, you know. Sign me up. <laughs> you mentioned Giorgio when you were saying that she's um, a mass murderer. Well, she, yeah, I mean, that, that was enough. Yeah, it, yeah. Much the same way as slavery, it kind of ticks the box of, yeah, there ain't really anywhere to go once you've done those sorts of things. But we still welcomed her. And at the starting of, was it last week's episode? Yeah. It was, yeah. Everyone's still mournful and feeling the loss. And they're thinking, well, hang on a minute. You didn't really like her that much, the loss of a character who would kill you given half the chance. Now we're back with this particular character who isn't much dissimilar. We don't know the atrocities that she's been involved in. But now the show's this a dichotomy of the Ooh, the nice side word. Way. Oh, yeah. Did like Santa Claus get you a thesaurus for Christmas? I love those dinosaurs, don't you? <laughs> I have to sound intellectual sometimes, otherwise I sound like a dick, which I do anyway. The fact that she was telling the truth just reinforced her sincerity, that she actually wants to be a partner with an alliance with the Federation, which would be mutually beneficial. That being undertaken would immediately resolve the animosity that they have. And then you're back on an even keel, because we haven't really been told of any other potential villains in the area. All we did have was we got that guy who I'm sure you said in episode two, will we be seeing him again? Oh, we did. Yeah, we'll come to him. Okay. <laughs> We'll put him in put him in a holding pattern. So if this formulates a wonderful alliance which benefits both people, it solves a lot of the problems that we could have sorted out in episode one. I mentioned it last episode, what you were talking about, this green issue about dilithium and things. But with the revelation that they found this planet now, it would have meant with her scientific minds and being well funded, they could have worked out a way to neutralize the radiation on that planet, harvest the dilithium, get everyone moving, reconnect all of the communications, transwarp conduits so people can now speak to each other across the galaxy rebuild the federation again using their existing trade routes and do it very quickly and then you've actually got yourself back to a federation that we knew in the 2365 or whatever it was absolutely but it was a good set of scenes it was a nice story arc and that is to be commended and as I say I really like Syrah as a character I think she's grown on me massively as you said the sort of subplot to that was the rescue mission on the discovery and we come across a couple of the bad guy characters in this part of the story which were the first one was you mentioned him before the geezer who we met in episode 2 who seemed a bit of a flaky bad guy at best when we sent him off packing into the distance both you and I at the time said we'll see him again (laughs) unless you see the body he's not dead exactly Uh, (laughs) so lo and behold he's back but the Discovery and the Discovery crew never really did anything to him first time round did they and alright he had a bit of a bitch about the fact that he had frostbite in his hand because they sent him off packing but that was probably the least cruel thing that they could have done to him I mean by all rights having just murdered a couple of people there and then it wouldn't have been unreasonable for Saru and his gang to have just killed him there and then so the fact that they let him live and have a fighting chance of surviving he ought to be bloody grateful not miffed at them when he turns up and I'm sure the writers were expecting to go oh my god he's back to wreak his revenge and I'm thinking you're a lucky bastard that you're even able to turn back up on that ship and actually you should be going round preferably not with your frostbitten hand but with your good hand going round and shaking everyone's hand going thank you for saving my life I wouldn't have thanked him if he'd have tried to shake my hand with a frostbitten one because that looked a bit minging they'd probably pull him off yeah You'd just be left with a finger in your hand. (laughs) Like a leper. Yeah. So I didn't really buy that whole tension created by him returning thing. And he's not that interesting a character to begin with, is he? That character was the only other villain. He was the pseudo-villain. He was one of the warlords, really, wasn't he? Yeah. And he wasn't that terrifying. He's been scooped up by Syrah and he didn't give me any more reason to be frightened of him. He wasn't particularly mean. He's not particularly intelligent. He's not super strong strong he's not got a big arm it, there's no one facet to his toolbox that particularly makes you think "Ooh, this might be a bit of bother he hasn't got posable thumbs well <laughs> not anymore he hasn't don't have a wank anymore <laughs> well one of them stuck up his ass because he tried it and he just came off <laughs> he's blocked up like a cork in a bottle <laughs> Oh dear. Oh, so yeah, we found him. And then we also found the world's 
dumbest, clever person. So we have this scientist who's wheeling himself around, obviously talking about how Syrah was amazingly good to him because she saved him from dying and he was in a terrible place. Everything was going wrong, but Syrah listened to him. She didn't have to, but she did, and she saved his life. Of course, since that happened, he seems to have ignored all the horrible things that she's done. He presumably doesn't watch the news, read the newspapers, or generally pay any attention to the slaves in chains walking past him on the streets, crying as their children are ripped from their bleeding arms to assume that Syrah is still a good person. So when Stamets points out that actually she's quite a bad person, he goes, no, she's not. She She's always loved me. Oh, you fucking idiot. <laughs> You know why she's always loved him? Because he's an idiot. When he goes to the cinema, she gets a free ticket. <laughs> she gets to sit in the good seats. Yeah. That's terrible. And also, every time you get to a queue, he's right in the front. In <laughs> fairness, I actually had a dream that we weren't ticking enough boxes this season. And I thought, we haven't seen any blind people. Oh, dude. Dude. <laughs> what? I was dreaming that we haven't seen enough blind people. I was thinking, there's only Georgie LaForge who's been technically blind. And I thought, we haven't seen any people who are disabled. When I saw this guy, I thought, oh, here we go with tick box. I did some research. He's got ALS or ADF. Oh, the guy himself. Well, I thought as much because if yeah. you watch one of the scenes as, as his machine sort of wheeling itself away, he sort of moves his arm, but he moves his arm in a way where you can sort of see that. So that's brilliant. I'm made up that someone like him can play that role. But unfortunately, his role was that of an idiot because... Mm. This guy's sitting there really straight face going, no, she's a good person. And they're going, you fucking idiot. How many planets with, like, slaves? You know, you're a scientist and you've probably been asked, I don't know, to do testing on human people. Which part of that process is good? It was just a bit silly, was that? And I'm sure he's going to be the one who flips on her in the next episode. Just ask Joseph Mengele. I'm sure he'll agree. <laughs> I think he's going to be the obvious person who undermines Cyrus' plans in the last episode that thwarts her plans because when she killed the Andorian right at the very end, she confirmed to him what he clearly should have already known but apparently didn't and therefore that's going to make him go more federation-y with his support, which again is poorly written telegraphed storyline but there we go. We have I've seen this carry before you know he's been in both seasons so far who has the guy in the wheelchair oh was he what was he in the other one then so the actor's guy called Kenneth Mitchell I've seen him a few times but he played Col in season one and right. he played Col Shell Tenovic in season two you see him as a human in this one they made him a motorised chair he's a known actor I've seen him in other stuff sad that the ALS thing oh I mean it's a horrible condition I mean just the yeah. thought of it he's hoping that that's the worst that he has to suffer of it absolutely but I'm looking at it just purely as a character storyline. His character was given the usual slapdash backstory that most new characters and indeed existing characters have been given this season where it's not been properly thought through. Does he have a soft spot for Syrah because of how they came together and what she did for him? Yes, that's fine. That's great. That adds a lovely nuance to her as a character. It creates some interesting dichotomy between her and his character. But to then pretend that he's completely oblivious to all the horrible stuff that she's done just seems too unrealistic. Whereas actually, would it not have been better that he constantly has to fight with his conscience to try and balance what she does with the person that he knows and to try and sort of justify the things she does as being only doing it for the, the greater good, etc., etc. You know, that kind of yeah. situation, which would have been a far more interesting way for that character to have tried to defend her as opposed to no she's never done anything wrong she's always been lovely she always bought me pick and mix she's been nothing but splendid and ignoring all the thousands of people she's killed and enslaved and tortured and murdered and all the rest of it if you look into history you'll find people who um, will have turned a blind eye to things for the betterment of either self-preservation or because they see something in the process that is for the greater good for example the atom being split we created the atom bomb well technically speaking we weren't looking to create a bomb 
bomb from the atom being split we were trying to create a way of producing better energy you're in for it all you can't cherry pick this is the dilemma that Burnham's had she's been deciding to do her own thing when it chooses when it suits her but then she wants to be moderation I think this guy he'll shift again he's been brought into the show far too late yeah absolutely I mean talking about ridiculously shit situations that have been created Captain Tilly continues to drop the ball on a regular basis because she's also about as useful as a chocolate teapot throughout the duration of this episode fails to come up with any sort of a plan to get them out of the situation that they find themselves in largely due to her incompetencies and then when eventually her crew do lure them into the world's most obvious trap and overpower the security guards her suggestion then is to just all charge the bridge and if some people get shot in the wake of that plan then we should just keep on charging forward because we may lose people along the way which I leant over to my missus who was only half watching and said that's a bit like in the American Revolution times where you know they used to have the pipers and the people carrying the flags who were walking at the front of so you see these war reenacting or in films and you've got these poor bastards who have been given the job of carrying the flag or banging the drums going do 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 do, and we're all marching into war and then the people with the guns on the other side are just shooting the shit out of the idiots who have been left carrying the flags and the whistles and and they all get killed and you stand there going did you need the drums and the flags could we not have just given them a gun instead and made them a bit more useful and perhaps help them defend themselves and Tilly's approach to overcoming the bridge felt very much like that she had no plan it was like let's get the bridge back and I'm thinking well all right, how are you going to do that and how are you going to do that with minimal casualties and have you got a plan B in case plan A doesn't work no you're just going to try and take over the bridge genius Tilly well done I mean I just thought the whole fight scene wasn't particularly well thought out when they started doing the Morse code I thought they were all going to start breaking out into some sort of um, a cappella band I mean, it was so obvious. I mean, the guard even picked it up and he sort of stepped. I'd have just broken his fingers. Wouldn't you have gone, right, yeah. there's your Morse code, son. And then I'd have kept my eye out for anyone else trying to do the same thing. And then at the end, they went, oh, what were you saying? Oh, we were talking in Morse code. That was 101 at the academy. And you go, what were you saying? He was like, keep on tapping. Like, you knobhead. Is that all you were communicating? Seriously. Was no one saying create a distraction so that we could lure them in or something? Or were we just going tap, tap, tap? Probably a call for help from the actor to the writer saying, please, will someone do some better scripts? Oh, with me, I Yeah. <laughs> this was a call back to Star Trek V, the movie. They're doing Morse code to try and break out Kirk's bocking bones from the brig when Cybok takes over the Enterprise. It was a nice little Easter egg. It was absolutely pointless in the whole scheme of things. Also, if you know anything about looking after prisoners, you don't stand in front of the person who's a prisoner. One of those guards was standing slightly in front of the guy doing the Morse code, which would have allowed him to easily take the gun off you. Not a good position to stand. Well, there's a whole host of flaws. I mean, this comes back down to the writing again, doesn't it? First and foremost, you split them up so that yes. they can't communicate for a start. Secondly, you keep your eye out for things. And if you are going to do Morse code communication, you do it a bit more subtly than tapping right in front of the guard, quite clearly communicating. It was a bit daft, but again, I think the Admiral really nicely... I mean, in the last episode, I said that I can see the end of the season Saru being stripped of the captaincy, and I think he'll get given to Burnham. And I think this episode reinforces that because when Cyrus says, yeah, we took over Discovery. It took me all of 10 seconds because you put that stupid idiot Ensign in charge. And the Admiral goes, what? I told him he shouldn't have frigging done that. What a dickhead. And it's written all over the Admiral's face that Saru is going to get a right royal dressing down for that decision. And I think when he finds out all the other stuff that Saru's been doing, I think next time the Admiral sees Saru, he's going to go, you can't be trusted as captain. You can't make impartial decisions. The decisions you have made when they've counted have been the wrong ones. I want Burnham in charge because Burnham's the only one who hasn't actually dropped the ball. I know she's a little bit revolutionary with her thinking. She's not traditional Starfleet with the way she does things, but she gets results and she makes the right decisions and she makes the hard decisions. I think that's going to end up... We love Tilly as a character normally. This isn't Tilly bashing. This is just the writers having really put that character in a situation she should never have found herself in and now making her look like a 
right ass. The problem isn't her as a character. The problem is you've got an ensign running a ship. Never happens. No. There's a reason you have rank and file. There's a reason you have a chain of command. Admiral Vance is an admiral, but he hasn't just gone ensign to admiral. We're not in the Napoleonic Wars where you suddenly end up inheriting the rank because the person behind you has been shot. There's an actual process to follow. All it's going to create is dissent amongst the ranks of people who've worked hard and studied hard to gain their official commission. One, you've got no experience. Two, she hasn't got the metal for it. No. She's a nice person and that's the problem. You can't be nice and be a captain. Well, you see how the Admiral reacts to Discovery where he's suspicious even when they let it in. The Sill's suspicious and when Discovery's sitting there they've still got all the guns pointed at the ship because until the Admiral gets confirmation that he needs to have that this isn't something that's untoward, he's prepared to blow the living shit out of the Discovery and actually his caution and his security measures keep the Federation safe when it quite comfortably could have been left exposed. The counter to that is the failings of Tilly in the last episode to take any security measures when it turns out that the ship that was hearing after them wasn't a Federation ship, but a Federation ship pretending to be a Federation ship. I mean, the first clue should have been in the fact that they were disguising themselves. Should have been, right, shields up. Oh, we haven't got any shields, Tilly. All right, okay, well, what can we do to protect ourselves if we come up against a baddie where we could spore drive away? All right, get Stamets' ass in the thing ready so that if we have to jump, we can do it at a moment's notice. None of that. What you could have pioneered, I know it hasn't happened yet, she could have done the Picard manoeuvre. Yeah. And they could have done the Picard manoeuvre because they've got a spore drive that would allow them to look temporarily like they're in two places. So they would have fired on the facsimile version, allowing them to attack the main ship. You and I could probably have come up with a variety of different ways. The fact that it's a massive ship means nothing when you've got a spore drive that immediately in an instant can move you from one place to another. And in the last episode, we were talking about how irritatingly crap Stamets was about his little paddy about leaving Colbert. Mm. This episode is a shining example of what I was trying to explain in that Burnham and Book at the very beginning get back and and Book's like, right, I'm going to have to go and do this. And Burnham's like, no, no, I'll get captured. You go and save the ship. And he's like, no, you know the ship. You know it better. I don't want to be captured. Burnham's probably thinking he might get killed because Syrah hates him and, you know, this isn't a good thing. She could have done all the paddying that Stamets did in the last episode about Book being given up. But quite rightly, she did what Stamets failed to do in the last episode and go, well, actually, what you're saying makes sense. One of us needs to escape so that they can go and try and free the ship, which is best for everyone. And it's going to be shit and it's going to be a massive risk that something bad might happen to you. Oh, and by the way, I love you. That's how much, you know, this means to me. But we have to do what's best for the ship and what's more likely to result in a positive outcome. So, yeah, I'm going to do it. And that's how the Stamets conversation should have gone last week and it didn't. That's what disappointed me so much about the writers again in giving Stamets a reaction that doesn't make sense in the circumstances in the position that he holds. Burnham's response is more consistent with what you would expect. She loves Buck. She doesn't want to lose Buck. She doesn't want to see any harm come to Buck. She will risk her own life to save Buck. But strategically, the best thing for them to do there and then was to split up. People say, don't they, they'll, people in a relationship to get, oh, I'll take a bullet for you. Well, the reason you can say that is because you know it'll never happen. There's very few people I know would stand in front of another person and commit themselves to being the first to be taken out. People just say it, don't they? In Star Trek, we've got to take the fact that actually the risk of being in these situations is far greater. And so to do that is subverting the expectation. And I think it's a great example of how strong these two characters have been in this series when she said, I love you to book, but it didn't feel cheesy at any point. It didn't feel forced. And his response felt consistent to the character that we've come to know throughout this season. It was a lovely scene because I don't normally like the gushy scenes. They always make me go, oh, fuck off. Uh, but... <laughs> But this one didn't because it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel insincere. It felt natural. And for me, it felt like these two characters have earned that scene because they've been brilliant. But this new laid back, fun loving, easygoing, slightly rogue Burnham has been fabulous this season. She's been brilliant. And Book has just been a fabulous character throughout. And quite frankly, who doesn't love Book? Absolutely, I agree. The flip side to that, to show the actual opposite, is when 
now Stamets considers Adira to be his child. And it's like, what the fuck? How has that happened? You've only known Adira for five seconds. And yes, we've seen how close he's been. That felt forced. You've seen it in a couple of episodes and you've commented on the fact that he's trying to be overtly helpful, out of character. And clearly we know now why that is, is because he wants to make this family unit. He's obviously in love with Culber. He's overcome the fact that he lost Culber, doesn't want to lose him again. So there's that. And now Adira is someone he has an affinity with, one big happy family, reckless, because he knows Adira as much as we do. Yeah. And Adira is still, still dealing with the loss of Grey, who we still don't know enough about. And they need to take a step back. You need to take a page out of the book of book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he needs to take a page out of Burnham's book, which she promptly whacks him over the head with to render him unconscious. When he does start do? acting like an ass, yeah, she does the Vulcan pinch. She's like, oh, I'm not having this conversation. <laughs> I've got too much shit going on here. I'm trying to save everyone and you whining and bitching and moaning because you can't have it your way exactly when you want it is just not helpful. See ya. <laughs> And then she fires him out of a window as well. She goes like, fuck off, boom. (laughs) That's what a captain does. That's why I think she's going to be given the captain's chair by the end of this season, because that's what a captain does. She goes, right, okay, ideally we need to spore drive back to save the team. But at the moment, the bigger risk is that these guys, the Emerald Chain, get hold of the spore technology. They're currently in charge of this ship. So until we get control of the ship again, the biggest risk to that happening is Stamets being on the ship, so fired him out of an airlock, put him where the Federation is so that they now don't have the ability to use the spore drive. So even if they steal Discovery, they've got no means of making use of the technology. And what it might mean is that they give up Discovery, we let them go, and then we can spore drive straight away to save everyone. It's like, well, that makes perfect sense, Burnham. That's how a captain thinks. Understanding that the spin-off shows, which have been heavily mentioned in this the short treks I'm talking about now, Eclipso being one of them talking about because we had Zora was the computer that got a bit cheeky a few episodes ago with with Saru and we know Discovery is left abandoned hidden in the 32nd century is this the causality potentially of how that happens where they abandon the ship and it's programmed to I don't know fuck off to some nebula and hide and then Zora who is clearly a sentient being now ends up being part of the ship a bit like as we find in Solo the Millennium Falcon has its own sentience well I found the sphere introduction crowbarred outrageously in because right at the beginning of this season we obviously had that moment with Saru didn't we talking over it and then absolutely fuck all has been done to pursue develop that in any way shape or form I mean one would have assumed that at any point since what was it episode 3 to this point there could have been moments when the sphere could have tried to throw its oar in and someone from the crew would have gone that's a bit weird what was that Mm, we need to look into that that feels a bit of a weird anomaly and then it transpires over the course that actually the severe data has its own consciousness and that it needs to be dealt with in a certain way instead Saru has a conversation with it makes no mention of it to nobody so nobody's aware of it and then these three robots turn up and go hi where's the severe and they go oh yeah look it's the severe but they're in robot form hallelujah we've got soldiers ignoring the fact I mean even that really badly placed oh we've taken over all of the systems except for this shitty entertainment black and white movie thing what should we do with this ah just delete it and I'm thinking I mean at no point did I think that was the sphere trying to disguise itself as something else I just looked and thought yeah they're just going to get rid of those shit black and white movies that I never understand why they play them in modern we talked about those and I said to you I like Buster Keaton and that's what it was when Osira comes across data she can't delete and you see those eyes turn up well they're Buster Keaton's eyes so all that is basically the severe data using what those movies were which is why you asked well why would you show that movie well now we know the writers wanted to put in a clever little nod to Zora and tie it all in that's really the only narrative reason to hark back to that episode sphere data is using what it's got in its data banks to become sentient I suppose by yeah but I didn't eyes. think it was the sphere when they were looking at that black and white movie deciding whether to delete it or not and no point did I think oh that's the sphere data that they've come across there and 
then when the robots turned up, I was like, oh, here we go. There's the magic MacGuffin that's going to solve the problems that we needed to solve. So don't worry about that, guys. Well, when she's trying to delete the data, on one of the computer screens, you see a pair of eyes appear. Right. I didn't well, see that. The eyes appear on the computer screen, which shouldn't be on a computer screen. And the eyes that are on there are Buster Keaton's eyes from the film they're watching in Forget-Me-Not. I didn't realise that. But again, even if you allow for that fact, we've still gone, what, 10 episodes without there being any development of this plot line whatsoever. Oh, agreed. I mean, it's lazy writing. I mean, they've not done themselves any favours. They've just created lots and lots of threads that they are now doing their best to wrap up very quickly, which never ends well. It's not a good idea to do that. So we've got that. We've obviously got Burnham, who's now running around the... The, the discovery much the same as Die Hard and what's the character called oh uh, John McLean so, yeah, yeah so we've got Burnham running around discovery like John McLean she removes her shoe she injures her leg I mean it's almost Die Hard ripped off I mean I quite enjoyed her whole trying to overcome the ship thing again it felt quite realistic in how she was going about doing it with the exception of there must be med kits like emergency med kits dotted all over the ship I didn't understand why when she got stabbed in the leg her first port of call wouldn't have been to get a med kit to fix her leg because that clearly hinders her ability to do what she's trying to do and it made no sense that she wouldn't get that fixed and obviously now she needs to stop off at the cobblers to get another pair of shoes as well before she tries to overcome the bridge. I think it just added more to the drama to it. It was very actiony wasn't it where she's, I mean I was expecting her to rip a sleeve off her top and make it into a torch with a lighter. That added a bit more depth to the episode in terms of it wasn't just Tilly overwhelming a couple of stupid guards. You actually had a bit of effort going in to try and be discreet and secretive about retaking the ship. It is, but I want realism. I, I want, if there's a realism to a situation, I can buy into it more. It takes me out of the story when I'm sitting there thinking, well, you've got an injured leg, so the first thing you want to do is, can what can you do to minimise that handicap? Because at some point in the not-too-distant future, you might have to do hand-to-hand combat with someone who's not going to have a bad leg, and that's going to put you at a significant disadvantage. So what can you do to balance that out? Oh, I know, we've probably got a piece of medical gear lying around somewhere, it probably would be in an emergency medical kit so she wouldn't necessarily have to go to sick bay where there might be guards she could go to another place where there'd be a I don't like where you stock up when you're going on a away mission and you get your medical gear she could have stopped off there for a first aid kit to fix that injury completely and then she wouldn't have had the handicap that would have made more sense it would have taken her two minutes to do that it's not like it would have massively delayed what she was ultimately trying to achieve and that lack of realism sort of takes me out a little bit and again this is me banging on about the writers just dropping the ball again it was a shame really because I love that whole crawling through Jeffrey's tubes thing I mean I've always loved episodes in Star Trek when they've had to do that yeah I like that as well because you get to explore different parts of the ship it puts it different setting you feel there's anxiety added to it because it's in an enclosed space and although you're not there hopefully through the power of acting feel how claustrophobic it is the tension that's being created it's dark and it's foreboding all those things that heighten your experience of viewing an episode and obviously you're trying to retake a ship and it's one person in the crew yeah that was good but could have been done better or or in fact not done better that's not they could have elaborated on it or made it so it wasn't just Burnham in the Jeffrey's tube it could have been a coordinated effort where Tilly and her band of brothers are also in Jeffrey's tubes and they're all making their way well it would have made it more realistic wouldn't it that if Burnham had to spend an extra five minutes getting the med kit to fix a leg but unbeknownst to her there's other things that are going on that are, so they're all closing rank on yeah. the bridge exactly that and it made sense and it would have been realistic because it wouldn't just be one person I mean okay Bruce Willis and Die Hard is in fact one person but they didn't have lasers let's be honest <laughs> <laughs> when you've got almost matching crew numbers and you've overwhelmed two people and others have been killed throughout the episode anyway, she hasn't got an unlimited amount of people. The chances of taking back the bridge was probably massively increased. Just another wasted opportunity. Absolutely. But it wasn't a bad act to the storyline. One thing that I did feel was a bit of a, a bollock drop, and that was more on the part of the character, was book mentions about the dilithium, which immediately changes Syrah's approach to 
to the situation. I suspect when she finds out that Stamets has been fired out of a Jeffrey's tube and is no longer of use to her, it's highly likely that she's going to up and off ski and there's going to be a race to try and get back to where that dilithium is to take that because by Buck telling her that, not only has he, has he given her a piece of information she wasn't aware of, it hasn't exactly saved his mate either because his Andorian mate just gets blasted to smithereens. It just shows the ruthlessness of it all again, doesn't it? Just as you were beginning to get into a false sense of security, you then realise we're back to the fact that actually whatever it takes and that's what differentiates the Federation from Warlords. But we have no plan B at the minute for Syrah. I mean, it'd be interesting. Well, I say it'd be interesting. We all know that they're going to obviously recover Discovery because there's no option available to Syrah. The Federation knows she's got control of the ship, so they're not going to let her take the ship out, are they? They've got everyone closing rank on her within the ship and they've got no ability to spore drive out of there. So somehow they've got to find a way of getting from the ship onto her ship in order to escape and they're probably going to have to use the Borg thingy. Oh, transwarp conduit. They're going to have to use the transwarp conduits to get back to the dilithium thing, whereas obviously they're going to, once they've made their escape, Stamets is going to have to come back on the ship to do the spore drive, which is obviously going to have to require Burnham to... (laughs) say alright dude um, FYI I'm, I'm in charge of the ship now largely because uh, Tilly's shit secondly because Admiral has put me in charge and sacked Tilly and thirdly Tilly has resigned because she recognises she's shit uh, I'm sorry I rendered you unconscious because you're a whiny bitch would you now mind getting us back to where we needed to be so we can now go about saving you fella because that was kind of the plan all along yeah <laughs> yeah it's running out of steam now isn't it it's got one episode to box everything else off we know there's a season four which ruins any potential thoughts we have but we also know from the spin-offs particularly with the calypso episode that the discovery is in the 32nd century abandoned okay well with this in mind and before we go to the easter eggs bit i want you to try and tell me how you think this season is going to wrap up because obviously next episode is the final episode of this season. It's going to set itself up for season four. So we know there is a season four. So everybody isn't going to die. There is going to be some story threads they will have to be able to pick up. So where do we go from here? It was all a dream. <laughs> they were all dead. <laughs> yeah, on an island. This is purgatory. Yeah. Oh, how many shows have done that? It's a very good question. I... <laughs> I'm kind of lost. I've been, my brain is numb from just watching the poorly hashed out developments. We know Giorgio's fine, which is great. <laughs> Let's break this down then. Do you think Colbert, Saru and Adira are going to be saved? One of them's going. Okay. Um, do you think they're going to have to kill Manchild because his paddies have been the cause of the burn and presumably if his DNA has been altered or he has naturally adapted to the environment he's in presumably it would be dangerous to remove him from that environment i think the dilemma is going to be that he's going to have to get killed saru won't have the balls to do it because they've gone uh, <laughs> they dropped off <laughs> he dropped off and rolled away down someone's sock uh, adira who's still not quite come to terms with the loss of gray will sacrifice well she'll character. be she'll be debating it with gray won't they'll be debating it with yes, gray they'll be having a mass debate i think at one point gray will probably be the stalwart solid person and say you need to do the greater good and need to the many and all that bullshit and I think Adira will ultimately sacrifice for Saru being saved because I don't even know whether Saru will make it I mean it'd be sad if it is but you know your Game of Thrones approach leads me to think nobody's safe at this point and it's a cliffhanger I think they'll all survive but I think Colbert will be the one who has to make the hard decision because Saru won't be able to do it and that'll be the final nail in Saru's captain coffin I think what do we think about the dilithium then and the emerald chain? Well, I think, as I've been saying, that they come to an agreement, they share exchange of technology, trade routes. I think that's a nice outcome. I don't. I think the emerald chain will get control of the dilithium cloud thing whilst they're saving Saru and Co. And season four will be the emerald chain will have access to all the dilithium it needs, whereas the Federation will be rapidly running out of it and will be having to 
try and find a way to replicate the spore drive in order to continue to and there'll be a war between the two sides okay well on the assumption that they don't find the way back because this is the hidden thing isn't it is anyone bothering to get back now or are we saying discovery now is specifically out of this time to tie into calypso based on that is the reason we're focusing so heavily on this ascension technology that we now know is sphere data that becomes zora and that we already know in calypso is in the 32nd century let me pose you this idea i suspect what happens is everyone has to abandon ship on the uss discovery and they all take refuge on osiris ship it's as jettisons off into the same time frame that we're currently in and we pick up season four when they come back to the discovery after it being left now i think no i i think i I think you're wrong i think discovery won't be abandoned until the end of the tv series it'll be the last episode they'll abandon it i think in this one i think discovery will be fine i think they'll save the crew i think it i don't think there's any attempt to go back in time i don't think they can can they because the sphere data is what creates the ai that ultimately created the problem in the first place so they can't go back in time because they'll get stuck in that loop of technology the technology risk i think they can't go back in time because the guardian forever did it well they're not allowed to do it anyway are they because it's against well, the wills because the temporal thing i don't think there's any suggestion i mean from what i'm gathering there's no real aims to go back to their timeline they seem to be coming around to the fact that they belong in this timeline now and they're just having it with just and from a, a storyline perspective i think there's a lot more rich picking fields if you can get some competent writers in this timeline than if they go back to where whence they came because the pike tv series is going to be covering that section of the timeline isn't it it makes sense to keep discovery well away change new world yeah yeah so i think they'll stay where they are what do we think is going to happen with the federation then come the end of this season are they going to broker a peace deal with the emerald chain i think that's going to happen we know fundamentally because of the existing star trek shows that discovery doesn't appear on any database so the fact that it ends up in the future would explain why it doesn't end up in the data banks in the next generation or star trek original series it's in the future season four could well be in there the trade delegation will build a alliance with the federation i do believe that this short trek calypso ties into this and so why wouldn't you do a short trek which ties into what you're planning the people watching it didn't know what you're planning the same as if you remember we brought back tilly's imaginary friend from one of the other short trek which tied into a story arc just got a strong feeling because otherwise you're just making short treks for the sake of it well going by the way they've been writing this season (laughs) i'm quite happy to buy into that suggestion do you know what i mean between the two of us we haven't gone too bad well we didn't foresee man baby did we well no but i liked (laughs) what i was about to give you is some credit for solution was far better than man pants Yeah, but I think my point is that we never foresaw Man Bear because it's a shit storyline. So it's highly likely that the next ending, the final episode's story arcs could be equally as, I'll call it surprising to be kind. Yeah, no, agreed. Like the replicators, full of shit. I know, I thought that was hilarious when she's eating the apple and you're going, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's shit, is that? I've got no more else to say on that, really. No, so uh, what Easter eggs did we find in this episode? Morning! we've covered a few along the course of this episode so i'll just go through the rest baryonic residue was mentioned when the discovery jumps near the federation that refers to the baryon sweep which is a process that cleans starships and it was introduced in the next generation episode starship mine that was another amazing episode of crawling through jeffrey's tubes and things yeah we get to see the wanderer class ship it's not a canical ship it's an orion ship we get to see the new phases that have been shown on the credits for a while the new phase get shown what was the name of the episode from next gen where they were doing the cleaning thing again oh uh, starship mine because now that was one of the beginning ones of a season wasn't it because he was quite a famous person in that who i didn't realize do you oh, know what episode it was season six episode 18 yeah it was uh tuvok the guy who plays tuvok was one of the baddies on devo yeah yeah he was so well he actually was in generations because he was on the enterprise b nah yeah he was 
was, he was, yeah, he was. That's how they explained that he obviously is that old, that he was in that period and also on the Voyager. Yes. So interesting bit of extra facts about that. Continue with your Easter eggs, having me introduce my own Easter egg. You see added value here. It is. It's not just all morning. The last couple, the fire suppression system was referred to. Georgia LaForge and Dr. Crusher did in the Next Generation episode Disaster. Yeah, that was Um, a good one. That was when they were in the cargo bay, wasn't it? Yeah. Although why does every strap that people attach themselves to for safety in such circumstances, why do they always find one that's ripped or likely to rip or not likely to be strong enough? Because then the episode wouldn't go the way you wanted to, would it? (laughs) We've mentioned quite a few others, but the last one really is the phaser overload. Continuing what you were saying about Burnham in the Jeffrey's tube, she sets the phaser to blow a hole in the side of the ship. We've seen the overload done in the original series episode Conscience of the King and the others we've kind of covered in the episode. Well done us. Penultimate episode, what would we give it out of 10, sir? Based on the fact that this was more of a kind of a rescue mission and I quite liked the sort of room environment with the negotiations, I'm going to give this a 7. Very good. I think that's a fair... You can't go any further because you're not going to reward them for the fact that they've just decided to wake up. Well, I... an 8. Well, I'm going to give it an 8 because their writing has been so shit. This could actually be a standalone episode that didn't require any episodes to be watched in advance, nor requires any episodes to be watched afterwards. You could watch this single episode in isolation, which is a damning indictment of the quality of the writing of this season that you can do that. But actually, if you do watch it in isolation, it was it, it had excitement, it had tension. As we said at the outset, the negotiations bit was, was clever. There was something to this, and I think it was a good episode, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it was a good penultimate episode. Unfortunately, the next episode is obviously going to involve the rescue mission, which I think was a stupid mission to have to go and rescue because it was stupidity that got them there in the first place and it's stupid stupidity that got them in the situation where they now have to go back and anything that flows on from this will be based upon a storyline written by people who created a stupid storyline so I don't have any high hopes for the next episode because I think it's going to be tying up loose ends of a stupid arc that's been done badly whereas this episode can be looked at almost in isolation and therefore was good. Agreed it's just sad that we've got to episode 12 and now the episode 13 has got a lot to do let's be generous 55 minutes to do a lot yeah we'll see we'll see well hopefully you've enjoyed this episode if you have go and check us out on social media Uh, we have a twitter poll rolling on this most recent episode so let us know what your thoughts are if you disagree with what we said throw your comments in there and we'll read them out on the next episode if you would like to follow us we're on instagram facebook twitter it's at picard talk which is actually our sister show so you can go and check out the episodes we did there on all the major podcast platforms we covered star trek picard's series and actually over the course of the next 40 years we will be releasing seasons one and two reviews of star trek discovery um you can also eat endless humour available I don't know if you really want to write us a proper essay about your thoughts and one assumes if you're writing us an email it's because you vehemently disagree with lots of what we've said then send it to Picard talk at thepodstation.co.uk I will leave Mark to read them because anything that's got any length to it I'm probably not likely to be asked about trying to digest life's too short people like a bit of length yeah oh yeah we'll stop there that's only going to get smuttier I think that's about it really Patreon if you want to give us a bit of support that would be massively appreciated if you go to patreon.com forward slash the pod station you can check out some stuff in the 2021 year we're going to be throwing in some extra special benefits that will particularly reward those who join now so even if the benefits aren't necessarily immediately obvious now you will certainly be first in line for enjoying them when they are introduced but even just as a token appreciation of the shite entertainment value that we offer in each of these episodes then yeah great thank you for listening we really look forward to catching you in the final exciting conclusion to this 
this season. I can't build it up any more than that because I'll be over it. Thanks for listening, guys. I guess we'll catch you next time. See you soon. Away team out. Away team out.